0: Welcome, everybody, to the Pathle Represents podcast. Today, our podcast is called Thriving Together, Cultivating Allyship, Safety and Diversity in Law Firm Culture. Building a safe and supportive environment for talent to flourish is up there on most firms' agendas. However, developing a meaningful strategy to cultivate a culture of allyship to enable diverse lawyers to succeed is easier said than done. Lynn S.B. williams Equity Partner and Chief Diversity Officer at Cozen O'Connor, joined CMO Series Represents today to share her personal journey as a diverse lawyer and the experiences that have shaped her career. We're going to discuss the power of innovative marketing and mentorship and unpack Lynn's insights and practical tips on how to unify allies to sculpt a future where inclusion thrives.
1: Welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Yasmin. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Of course, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your, your very busy schedule um, to join us today. I'm sure everybody in the crowd is wondering, how did you come to your role as Chief Diversity Officer at Cozen O'Connor? Well,
1: you know, it's funny because it's um, it's a windy road, as some may say. Um, I started at Cozen many, many moons ago um, in about 2006. And at the time that I started, I had always been involved in the diversity committee, um, I've always had this passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and so I really made it a priority to get involved early on in my career. Um, and I really stuck with it all of these uh, many years later. Um, candidly, my mother was also a diversity advocate. Um, and so, you know, as the going says, it's kind of something that was that was uh, I grew up with, and it was something that was super important to me. Um, but you know being in the professional realm i just always had my toe in de and i it was something that was always like at the back of my mind and something that i always prioritized as a part of my career and so fast forward to about 5 years ago um our firm decided that we wanted to create a chief role for and elevate the role for diversity equity and inclusion and so we decided for the first time to have uh, a senior partner come in um, and take this on as a part of their responsibilities. And that's when I was appointed to Chief University Officer of Cozen in December of 2018.
0: That's amazing. Um, and you said that your mother was a diversity advocate, which is incredible. So how have other you know parts of your personal experiences, especially as a woman of color in the legal profession, shaped your approach to diversity at the firm?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's just who I am. Um, you know, watching the incredible impact that she had on her students, she was um, head of diversity for a nursing school in Columbus, Ohio. Um, it made me realize the impact that you can truly make on an organization and the imprint that you can make on an organization. Um, you know, when I decided to take on the role, I was actually living in Atlanta at the time, and I was um, a pretty new um. Partner at the time, and I was building a book of business, but also I had just bought a house 18 months in. And when the firm approached me to do it, um, you know, I had some hesitations because it would require me to move to the East Coast. And, you know, my husband was deployed at the time. And so it was a big move for us. Um, And I think for me, deciding to come into this role, it was a a conversation that I had with our managing partner. And he said, We really want you to lead these initiatives. We think you'd be great to really transform our firm and transform our culture. And so it was a big ask. And I said, well, you know, it sounds great. I'm passionate about it, but you know, what's my job? You know, am I supposed to come in and make sure that, you know, we get more black lawyers, we get more Hispanic lawyers, you know, lawyers identify as LGBTQ plus, like what's my job? And And he paused for a second and he said, no, that's not your job, that's all of our jobs. So for me, that was a turning point. And that's when it really solidified that this was going to be a great role for me. I'm still able to practice law, which I love, but I also can can also make an impact in the DE&I space. And it was when I realized that this was going to be a perfect perfect fit for me. And it was an intersection of, of all of the years of experience that I have acquired to be able, be able to to put it into motion.
0: Zin sounds like such a forward-thinking firm. Um, and I think since you've been at the firm for 18 years, you probably have seen so much change in how, you know, other attorneys are speaking about DNI. and i How has the landscape changed in that time for firms, like from a D&I standpoint, and standpoint, of course, like from your perspective as, you know, a practicing lawyer?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, in that amount of time, obviously the landscape has changed of DEI has changed a ton. And I remember, you know, back when I first started practicing law, it used to be that it was acceptable for law firms and clients to just have, you know, a woman of color or a woman or a person identified as LGBTQ plus as a part of a pitch. But, you know, back then, you know, it didn't matter if they spoke, it didn't matter if they really contributed or had any substantive um, contributions. But just as long as you had someone in the room that was sufficient, well, fast forward to 2023 and that's just no longer sufficient. Um, And I think clients now are becoming and have become much more intentional um, about outside counsel and their true commitments to diversity and inclusion. Um, You think about the relationship partners um, and making sure that they're adhering to the principles of diversity and inclusion and that 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 matches what the clients' goals um, and and morals are. So I think it's just a much more intentional approach now. We receive so many requests for data and information about who is working on files, who's leading files, um, and who what do the team look like? What do the teams look like? What is the makeup of the teams? And That is very different from when I first started practicing law. Um, I think one inflection point of note, which most people know, but was the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020. And after that, you saw kind of a shift in the legal community and the industry where law firms no longer was complying with just status quo with diversity and inclusion. They started hiring chief diversity officers. They started pouring more resources and money into diversity and inclusion training. Um, and you really saw this groundswell of support of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives and programming. And I think that that was a good and welcome change, but it was very different from you know the 2000s, the early 2000s um, when I started in this business. And I think that this is a good change for us and I hope that it continues.
0: So you mentioned the inflection point with the murder of George Floyd. Um, and of course, you mentioned kind of your mother's dedication to diversity and inclusion as well. Um, in your experience, what are the most, I guess, the three most influential things, whether it be, of course, people or experiences generally that have impacted your career in legal? Again, I know you mentioned George Floyd, but out of curiosity, are there are there other bits as well?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, for me, there are probably three personal things, and it's kind of hard to pick just three things. But Um, you know, I would say just personally, my clerkship, um, was in Georgia, right after law school, I clerked for the Georgia Supreme Court and I had the honor of clerking for the first African-American female chief justice, um, of a state Supreme Court in the United States. And her name was Justice Leah Ward-Sears. And that was just such an amazing, amazing experience, not just for me as a woman and a woman of color, but to be clerking for such an outstanding jurist um, um, in that type of environment, but also so early in my career. Um, That was an inflection point for me personally, because she was such an influential person in my life at that time, it was my first legal role, um, but it was really my first legal mentor, um, with the exception of my father who had practiced for 50 years. So this was just an, a, an amazing way for me to kick off my legal career. So I'd have to click, I have to say that that clerkship was one of the influential things and people and experiences that impacted my career in the industry. The second was my relationship, uh, sponsorship relationship with the managing partner at Cozen O'Connor. Um, and many people have heard the story, but when I started at Cozen, Very early on, I reached out to the managing partner. I was in the Atlanta office. He was in our Philadelphia office. And at the time, he may have been like administrative partner. But nonetheless, I reached out and I said, hey, you know, I'm a young associate in Atlanta. I'm looking for a sponsor. And it's your lucky day. Like, would you like to sponsor me? And, you know, in hindsight, he was a bit taken aback because he knew my name but didn't know me well. And he was like, well, what's it going to cost me? And I said, "Oh, well, it's not going to cost you a thing." But you know, I realized early on that if I wanted to ascend to firm management, if I wanted to get substantive substantive opportunities to get client facing um, matters, and to get that experience, that I had to reach outside of my office and connect with someone else. And so he agreed to sponsor me. That was eighteen years ago, um, and he's still my sponsor to this day. Um, And that was really an influential person in my life, but also an impact to my career because he made sure I got opportunities. He made sure that I had opportunities to lead committees at our firm. Um, He made sure that he supported me in my bar association when I was a president of a bar association in Georgia. So I'd have to say that that was the second person experience that really shaped my career and changed the trajectory of my career. And then the third thing I would say is fast forward to now which is serving as chief diversity officer. And for me this role has really brought me full circle. Um it's allowing me to marry two loves practicing law but also making an impact in my own community and other communities that I feel so passionately about. Um and it really has come full circle as far as my career. You know, I consider myself a pretty young lawyer, even though I've been doing this a long time. But I feel like this is a good pinnacle for me because I'm able to do all of the things that I care so passionately about. So if I had to only pick those three things, it would probably be the clerkship, um, the sponsorship relationship with the managing partner at my firm, and my current role as chief diversity equity and inclusion officer.
0: Lynn, so you seem very outgoing. Of course you're like so I feel like you're such a natural with people. How do you and this is more for the younger folks on the who are going to be kind of li- listening to this podcast. How did you kind of come up with I mean how did you get these opportunities? I mean to message the managing partner and say, "Hey, I want you to sponsor me." That takes a lot of guts. So how did you kind of get there to get to that point to do that?
1: You know, that's a good question. <laughs> I um I don't know. Um, I think at the time, I just, the way that I was raised, I was raised to go after what you want, to be relentless in your pursuit of your dreams, but also your happiness. And I think for me at the time, I was a young lawyer, I was hungry, I was ambitious. I really just wanted to make sure that everything within my power, to be able to have a long career at this firm that that I loved, was going to happen. And I think I also had in the back of my mind that as a woman and a woman of color, I knew that this wasn't an environment that most of us thrived in. If you think about the statistics, there's, you know, people of color and women, they don't last at big law firms past seven years. And I didn't want that to be my story. Um, And I knew that in order to not make that story, I had to make those relationships. And I had to you know, through grit and hard work and perseverance. um, I had to put all those things into play to be able to thrive in an environment that has not traditionally been an environment that people like me thrived in. Um, But to that point, you know, as a woman of color in the legal profession, I had to realize that the experience that I had at Cozen with a sponsor and someone who truly cared about my career was the exception, it wasn't the rule. And so for me, I set out to decide that I wanted my experience to be the rule. And in order to do that, I had to make certain changes and recommendations and I had to get involved on the management level so that I could make sure that there were things put in place so that people like me and others could thrive in this environment. Um, And so that's probably the short answer to your question, but I, I truly don't know what made me call him that day, but I can honestly say that I don't regret it.
0: <laughs> I love that answer. It's just something that you really can't help but think about is like what what takes you that step further to make those kinds of calls and pick up the phone. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think that really feeds into our next question really well, which is what we had kind of spoken about before, about you wanting to be remembered as a good lawyer, but an even better firm citizen. Um, I think you're so naturally, and I, of course, I think it comes down to the, the type of person that you are and how you were raised, what you were just talking about. Um, but you also speak about you know, allyship and creating a safe space, right, and making sure that you're making your experience the rule. Can you tell us more about your approach um, and the training that you've implemented in Cozens, maybe to like help cultivate that environment? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean,
1: I am a huge, huge allyship um, fan and training. And honestly, allyship is so critical to the development of a psychologically safe and inclusive environment. And what does that mean? It just means that without allyship, change is not sustainable. And so, you know, I oftentimes joke and say that my superpower is the opportunity to be able to transform a culture into something that works for everyone. And in order to do that, you have to have allyship. So, the the number one thing that I have heard just in my role as diversity officer at Cozen, but also in other places, is that there's so many people that want to be positive and contribute to diversity and inclusion within their workplace and their environment, but they don't really truly know what to do. Um, they don't know what's best to be inclusive, and they're afraid to make mistakes um, and potentially, you know, alter a relationship with a coworker that may not look like them. That may change their their involvement or or their work relationship. And so the thing that we did at Cozen um, and we continue to do is to focus on allyship. And that's empowering our employees, empowering our managers and our management to understand what it means to be a good ally and what does that look like. And that could look like bystander intervention. And that means that if someone who's around you who may be a, a a diverse lawyer or a diverse staff member um, or a colleague or a peer, you know, if something said, say, there's a the microaggression that's lodged against a particular person, how do you interject so that it's respectful, so that it's not awkward, so that you can create a safe space for someone who may be on the receiving end of a comment or um, something that may be unwanted? And so training folks to learn what bystander intervention really means and how to effectively um, carry that out. Um, other things that we've done is pronoun usage and providing training on what that means. Um, you know, a lot of the younger generation, they know exactly what pronouns mean and the implication of using someone's pronouns correctly. Um, but we had to educate an older generation to let them know why it's so important to get pronouns right when someone is requesting to be addressed in a certain way. So providing that type of training so that individuals know they can be a good ally by simply using someone's correct pronouns and going out of their way to make sure that they get it right. Um, Also encouraging folks in our firm to participate in affinity groups, even if it's not a group that you traditionally uh, may identify with. So at our firm, we have six self-identifying constituencies that make up our six affinity groups. We have black lawyers, Hispanic lawyers, Asian lawyers, lawyers that identify as LGBTQ+, lawyers that are differently abled, as well as lawyers that are veterans. We encourage all of our lawyers and our staff have ERGs as well to participate, even if it's an affinity group that you may not um, necessarily identify with. So we have allies in our LGBTQ plus affinity group. We have um, individuals that are a part of our black lawyers because they supported um, the black lawyers at our firm. Um, And so, and those are just two examples, but we encourage everyone to participate. And that also creates a culture of inclusiveness, but also psychological safety for all of our employees and our staff.
0: I love how you explain to people too, like you you don't have to be a part of this affinity group in order to participate and be an ally. I think people really miss that, right? They think, oh, if I'm, you know, not like a black lawyer, I can't be a part of the black affinity group, right? But everybody can join and like everybody can support one another. Um, so I think that's incredible, and that's something that a lot of, you know, folks in legal can take home with them too, of like, oh yeah, you know, we can all participate um, and support one another. Um, in that same breath. Um, you talk a lot about these initiatives and how you're kind of supporting and cultivating this safe space of psychological safety. Where do you find the role of legal marketing and BD professionals is in all of this? And how can they contribute to driving inclusion to enable diverse talent to thrive?
1: You know, that's a really good question. And, you know, I certainly don't purport to be an expert, you know, in this space, but I know the things that I have seen work, for instance, promoting, Diverse talent, you know, whether it be making sure that all of your diverse lawyers and your women and the women in your organization are getting submitted for award submissions. There's so many that come out and that can really bolster a diverse lawyer's um, career or your, your diverse talents career, thinking about ways to use social media. Um, Social media has been a super powerful tool um, for legal marketing. Um, And also I've seen it work for business development as well, Um, certainly in the personal entry space and other spaces like that. So making sure that um, you are strategizing on the social media front when you wanna bolster or give spotlights on diverse talent. Um, Press releases, you know, I know, you know, press releases look a lot different now than they did when we first um, started out in our career. Of pushing those out whenever you can. Um, speaking and writing opportunities. You know, I always tell individuals that are thinking about building business, there's no better way to try to get business than speaking and writing um, and taking every opportunity, even when you don't want to do it, um, and providing that for diverse talent. And those are ways to make them, to help them thrive as well. Um, on the business development front, that's always tricky because I think that that's always such an individualized thing for that particular lawyer or talent, but giving opportunities um, that leads to long-term relationships and voluminous assignments, making sure that they're not just in the room, That if it's appropriate and it's an area that they can lead from a substantive perspective to make sure you're putting that lawyer out there first um, is another opportunity. Or for the lawyers that are coming up and they're in the pipeline giving them opportunities to pitch and work with lawyers that may not be diverse, but are more senior, where they can get that training and development and being intentional about that. Um, And then the last thing that I would say is financial support, like making sure that the diverse lawyers that are involved in bar associations or trade organizations are able to travel and attend those conferences or lead in those organizations. Um, I remember when I was president of a bar association back in 2013, Cozen supported me financially so that I could make sure that I was sponsoring the judicial receptions and that um, Cozen was sponsoring with me as president, the galas and things of that nature. And it gave me as a diverse lawyer and woman of color opportunities to look like that I was leading at a national law firm because I was the headline sponsor for that particular event. And, you know, sometimes these things can come across as, you know, just throwing money at it, but it really does matter. And it creates a brand and, it creates opportunities for the diverse talent to stand out amongst their peers, which is super important with respect to marketing and business development.
0: Lynn, how did you propose to Cozen's that sponsorship opportunity? And how did you bring that up? If you don't mind me asking.
1: Um, I mean, they knew that I was involved. I had worked my way up um, with the organization. So I've knew several, you know, maybe three years in advance that I was going to put my name as president. And of course you have a year for president elect. So I was very vocal about my involvement. Um, You know, I wasn't afraid to ask for financial support. Um, And for me, you know, they always say, and you know, you know, don't toot your own horn, but I say absolutely toot your own horn. (laughs) You know, you have to tell people what you're doing and there's a professional and appropriate way to do it. Um, And I think that that's why the ask was easier for me because they were already aware of my involvement. Um, and I gave them several years, um, notice that I was going to be asking for a budget. Um, and so, you know, I say all the time, don't be afraid to treat your own horn and be prepared, um, to be able to provide information so that wherever you're asking, that they're prepared
0: to respond to the ask when you make it. Thank you. I think... That's one piece of advice that I would probably take away from all of this that you've shared is, of course, you know, get out there and be proud of what you're doing and toot your own horn. But I think um, for our final question, you know, if you had to give one piece of advice and I feel like your experience is amazing. So your one piece of advice is probably like the golden nugget. Um, but if you'd no have pressure, to, <laughs> no pressure at all, none. Um, but if you did have to pass on one piece of advice to other law firm leaders looking to cultivate a culture of safety, allyship, and diversity, what would it be?
1: That's such a loaded question, Yasmin. But, um, I would say, you know, I think my one piece of advice, um, would be to not, don't be afraid to take risks. And don't be afraid to fail. I think when I first got into this role, I was so hypersensitive about getting it right and making sure that I could do all things for all people. Um, and I think, you know, taking an attentional and purposeful approach in everything you do and not being so caught up about something not working, whether it be like an initiative or a program. Um, you know, and you will fail. You'll try something and it won't work. And you need to step back, regroup, tweak it and then do it again. And one example that I can give is that I um, forever wanted to work with Women's Initiative to start a co-sponsorship program at our firm because I knew sponsorship worked because it worked for me. And that was my first step in making sure that my experience was the rule was the rule for everyone and not the exception. And so I wanted to develop this co-sponsor program. So I got with the Women's Initiative, we developed it and we started it off with a pilot um, and we're in the middle of the pilot right now. But I think what took me so long is I was afraid that it wasn't gonna work. So I would just say, you know, if you have an idea, no matter how crazy, jump right in, develop a team, be intentional about it, talk to your colleagues at other firms, Figure out, if they've done it, figure out what their failures were so that you don't repeat them. But don't be afraid to take risks because the greatest risk gets back the greatest return.
0: Lynn, thank you so much. That was great. I think um, the piece that I'll take away is figuring out people's failures because that is such a great great way to learn about how people are working and what they're doing and what their experience is because otherwise, you'll never get that perspective. Um, Fantastic. Well, Lynn, again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Um, To everybody listening, I mean, you have a lot of great takeaways um, from Lynn. So definitely key in. And I won't tell everybody to uh, come knocking on your door to ask for advice, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, But again, thank you so much for your time, Lynn, and to the folks who are listening, thank you again for joining us here on the Passel Represents podcast. Um, feel free to reach out to us if you guys have any questions or if anybody else wants to invite anybody to join on the podcast. Um, We're just so lucky to be able to speak with people like you. And so thank you so much. Your experience is invaluable. Thank you for having me.